Well, hi, everyone. This is Daniel Williams, senior editor at MGMA and host of the MGMA Podcast Network. We are back for another episode of our show, Mindful Medicine, and I have one of my MGMA colleagues with me today. It's Amanda Jensen. She is program manager of member engagement at MGMA. Many of you may know uh, Amanda if you've ever done any volunteering or any other kind of things associated with MGMA. So before we go any further, Amanda, thanks for joining us on the MGMA podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me today. Yeah. So you have taken it upon yourself um, as an MGMA employee and as, a, for lack of a better phrase, a human being to really research uh, this DEI topic that we're going to talk about today. So I wanted to um, just learn a little bit more about you and have you share that with our audience Tell us about yourself, your journey in advocating for diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. What sparked that interest? Tell us about that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I am a white woman who has a lot of privilege. Um, and, and several years ago, I made a commitment to listen to the voices of people who belong to demographics and backgrounds that I do not belong to, um, especially underrepresented populations. So really working on decentering myself and my own perspective changed the way that I see many things, one of them being that equity and inclusion do not just automatically happen in the workplace. I learned that I have a unique position um, to have critical conversations with people who are like me. So DEI is about calling people in instead of out. Um, we're operating in many ways in our country right now in a call out culture, but DEI really operates in a way of trying to call people into the conversation um, where we're all working on improving and making a way for more equity and inclusion. Um, so I entered into the field of DEI work while at MGMA in my current role within member engagement. Um, the need for DEI in the healthcare space is really huge, um, specifically when it comes to health equity. Uh, we see this, for instance, in maternal mortality rates. Um, some of the latest statistics are that Black women are 2.6 times more likely to die in childbirth than white women. And this number is currently increasing year over year. So um, there's a lot of drastic um, changes that need to continue to happen in healthcare. Um, so this and other healthcare inequities are, are really emergencies um, in many people's opinion. And um, in the, the field that we serve, I felt like it was really important for me to get that education and, um, and to be a part of some positive change at MGMA. Well, that is awesome that you're doing that. So I would love for our um, listeners, uh, MGMA members and other healthcare uh, professionals out there, just to hear what you've done within MGMA. What are some of those programs you've helped jumpstart and shared with your colleagues? Yeah, I, I've really had the opportunity um, working specifically in member engagement to think through ways that we can um, better prepare our members for um, some of the things that they may be facing, facing in the in the workplace, um, as well as uh, different 
different issues that are currently happening within the healthcare healthcare space. Um, so we want to engage our members. We want MGMA to be a place where everyone feels like they belong um, and that they're better equipped because of their membership uh, to do the work that they do every day. So um, an example of that, one of the programs I've, I've really felt the most privileged to be involved with recently uh, were our resource groups at MGMA's Leaders Conference in October. Um, so in an effort to make our conference more inclusive, we decided to begin with establishing more intentional uh, spaces for connection. So resource groups are most commonly termed employee resource groups, which are employee-led groups established for individuals who share a demographic and they're directly supported by the organization. Um, these are statistically proven to lead to better employee engagement and retention, and that's why they're an effective um, method that many organizations employ. So I wanted to see if a variation of a resource group would be effective for our members, but I knew that this had to be done carefully and that I would also need to know when to get out of the way. So by this, I mean that the right volunteer leaders were necessary. We have a lot of fantastic volunteers at MGMA. So um, for example, I really have no place as a white person leading a conversation for black leaders in healthcare or uh, Latina leaders in healthcare. So I placed a call for volunteers who belong to various backgrounds and experiences and asked if they would be willing to host a collaborative conversation on site for individuals who shared their same background and experience. Um, so these volunteer leaders did truly an incredible job leading the discussion on site. Um, each resource group was very well attended and the feedback was that people were grateful for that avenue for connection. Um, so we're now working on continuing that, um, that process and continuing the conversation virtually and in person in the go forward. So I believe we're seeing success with this specific program because we're not making assumptions about what different groups of people need or want to talk about. Um, but instead, having a posture of listening, listening, um, and our our volunteers are really leading the way with that, which I found to be very important. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all that. And um, I've only gotten feedback from those different groups uh, that were formed at our leaders conference, and everything I've heard is uh, just incredibly positive about how people were able one the attendance, and then two just the interaction, the networking, the conversations that took place. I was, uh, for anybody who was at our leaders conference in Nashville, um, we were in the exhibit hall and I was in uh, another section of that manning a, a, a booth there and also their, um, our uh, business partner uh, stage there. I can't remember the exact name of it, but that basically is where I was. But I I just drifted over there a couple of times and just saw uh, some, some great enthusiasm, engagement, and then talking to Craig Weberg and others who design our uh, conference content, uh, talking about the feedback that they heard. And I guess you heard that as well, that it was really well received. Yeah, it was. It was very well received. I think it's just a good example of um, establishing some of those smaller, very intuitive uh, networking spaces can be very effective. Uh, we just have to be very intentional with how we do that. Right. I want to go back to some of the things that you had mentioned earlier, because um, I've encountered as a podcast host here, I've encountered uh, some things as well. You were talking about you didn't feel in in who you are as a person, that it was right for you to lead the group for Black women or for um, Hispanic women. Um, 
in my case, I was, you and I partnered to launch uh, Women in Healthcare and I hosted it for several months. And I just, every time I'm going, I'm not, should I be doing this? And so um, I'm proud to announce, and many of you who are regular listeners to our different shows, um, you have noticed already uh, that Adrian Lloyd, who is an MGMA consultant and an expert in healthcare. Uh, she has taken on uh, the hosting duties of that show. And so we're really excited about that. I just uh, recently published uh, the first episode there and and just think Adrian, I mean, everything she does is amazing, but she did an incredible job hosting that uh, conversation. And we're looking forward to the other episodes that are going to be rolling out. So that was one example where we both have encountered that but let's just not take the devil's advocate side but just maybe further explain because you're in that conversation you're studying and researching this uh topic right now dei and why it's important because um a person could face some resistance uh in trying to establish a program well why are we having to do this or why are we having to do that or why are we doing things this way or are we walking on eggshells now i mean you have studied this you've been in workshops you've uh, gone through some training as well so give us that where if you are getting feedback that's either negative or just pushing back or just questioning why do we have to change things so help explain that so our audience can understand where the steps are being taken and why they're being taken. Absolutely. I think one of the the most important things to note is a lot of people that think that DEI began in 2020, um, but that's very inaccurate. DEI began in the 1960s during the civil rights movement. Um, so many people in company and companies have really been working on this for decades. Um, and organizations that are willing to stay the course and truly invest in DEI see the ROI. So a lot of times you're going to come across the resistance or, or a barrier of, we don't have the time, we don't have the money, we have too many other things that are on our plate. Um, but what we see consistently throughout the decades, not just since 2020, um, what we see with these organizations that have really committed to, to staying the, the course is that they do better at retaining their employees. Um, the diversity on their teams leads to better innovation. The belonging in their organizations that their employees experience leads to um, better employee experience overall. Their products and services reach lar larger audiences and, and so on and so forth. So the research is absolutely there that this is effective um, for truly any organization. A lot of the time, another barrier that you come up against is you might set some goals as an organization, but you don't have a plan to carry it out. Um, you don't have a, a strategy around ensuring that every single employee is playing a part in, in ensuring that all of those goals are carried out. Um, it, DEI is also not an, an arrival spot. It's something that we're all consistently, if we say that we're committed to DEI, uh, we're consistently working on it in, in the long term. So an organization should be setting up these strategies, um, or these goals, I should say, and then having a strategy where as long as we're an organization, we are working on these initiatives and continuing to improve on them uh, because we want people to belong at our organization and because we want to be uh, a place that's equitable for the people who work here as, as well as the people that we serve. Okay. We've got time for a couple more questions here. We've got a lot that 
I think we're just going to, you and I were talking offline and if uh, we can get you to fit us into your busy schedule, maybe have you back on the show and talk in more detail about some aspects of DEI. But I wanted to talk, first of all, about self-reflection and unconscious bias. So mm-hmm. first question is, how do you approach self-reflection and then recognize your own unconscious biases? Yeah, absolutely. So so two things. DEI strategy, um, it, like I stated, is it's really whole organization should be working on it. There should be a strategy on it. Everyone is accountable to it. Um, then there's also a little bit separate. There's that component of self-reflection and unconscious bias, which um, which a DEI approach often begins as well with a conversation and education around unconscious bias. Um, it, but just to touch on that specifically, what that is, unconscious bias is stereotypes that our brain is operating on outside of our conscious understanding. So education around unconscious bias is, is really only effective when an individual is personally motivated to improve in that area. That's where we see the most success with that. So throwing a singular um, mandatory unconscious bias training at your employees will, will not transform your organization. Uh-huh. Um, but understanding your your own unconscious bias can be very po- powerful if that's something you're motivated um, to do. So essentially, I really say to people, you grew up with a very specific experience. You were around specific people in a specific location. You spoke a specific language or languages, so on and so forth. All the while, your brain, which evolved within the human race for the past several thousand years to protect you from danger, was making connections of what is good and bad, what is safe and unsafe. And this leads to stereotypes. That's just what our brains do to protect us. Um, so that's that's not our fault, but it is our responsibility. Um, so the first step in is, is really accepting that your brain operates this way. Um, and so you might say something, for example, like, I'm not racist. And that is likely true in your conscious mind. Um, but because you inevitably have unconscious bias, especially if that remains unchecked, you're your actions, which stem largely from your unconscious bias, uh, likely do not always reflect this. So I really believe that the first step is accepting that you will always be unlearning and relearning, that we all have that work to do, um, especially if you want to, to tackle the way that your brain is stereotyping. So the posture of having personal ownership over this being lifelong work is, is really important. Um, so my self-reflection really starts with with that knowledge. Um, And it starts by understanding your own identity and the limitations of that, Um, and then making it a habit to learn about um, different groups of people, especially underrepresented uh, groups that are outside of of the experiences that you've had. Um, And then that can become a challenge, really. It can can become a challenge to be learning about things that are different than how you might've grown up understanding the world, um, it, but not stopping there and and taking that next step of, of, wow, this is really challenging understanding that I had of, of how things operate. Um, but I can push through that in order to get to the other side and have a better understanding of a more expansive lens of a more expansive um, world. I also don't recommend learning about DEI just through the, through the news, because you're going to hear a lot of about um, what is trending as far as DEI goes. But like I mentioned, it's been around for decades. Um, it's more about establishing that longstanding under, uh, understanding. So um, there are several books that I recommend that people start with. Um, one is Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. The other is So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijeoma Aluo. Those are specifically about um, 
race. There's lots of other areas to learn about DEI, but really um, it, there's so much to talk about here, but really just starting with um, understanding the limitations of your brain and being committed to a habit of learning. That's a, that's a really great place to start. Okay. I'm going to ask one more question. And then what I want to do is get you back on here in a couple of weeks where, cause this is a lot of information to take in. And I was going to get you to go into strategies and implementation and all kinds of things. And I feel like let's just define what we're talking about first for this initial meeting. And then we'll have you back on here where we can get a little bit more hands-on and uh, application-based. So you mentioned two books. I'm going to be sure and put both of those books links to them in the episode show notes. But um, for people who are interested in this topic area, maybe don't want to go into a whole book. Is there a website or is there even an unconscious bias test? Or is there anything else out there where someone who might be interested in uh, learning a little bit more, but maybe not going in the whole book route, which I don't encourage that. I mean, we have an MGMA book club and we want people reading books, but some of us, me included, have a lot of books on my shelf to read. So it might not, you know how it is. We go, I'm going to read that book. And then it's six months later and haven't read that book. So um, what other resources out there uh, can you recommend before we sign off? Yeah, absolutely. I would say if you're just tipping your your toe in for the first time, yeah. just tipping in, um, that one of the best things that you can do is is like I said, understand. Okay, this is how I grew up. This is this is who I am as a person. Okay, which means there's a myriad of things that I do not understand. Experiences I haven't had. Um, people whose experiences. I cannot relate to. Um, so instead of starting with, you know, completely understanding unconscious bias or, or really trying to fulfill that part of education, start with going, okay, if I'm a white person, I'm going to listen to a podcast that is hosted by a person who's black, or um, I'm someone who grew up as um, a Christian I'm going to listen to um, a podcast or a book on tape or um, or watch a TV show that is about a different religion. Mm -hmm. I'm just really making that first habit about I'm going to learn things that I don't know about. Mm -hmm. um, because I think a lot of times DEI is really considered to be I need to understand all of these huge principles of, of what is diversity and equity and inclusion. It's like just start with what are things that I don't understand? What are people's experiences I, I don't um, have personal experience with? Uh, and, and kind of make that learning adaptive and positive as opposed to overwhelming. That's incredible. Okay, Amanda, um, I'm already booking you on the show for uh, <laughs> in the near future because I can't wait to dive deeper into this topic area. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so... This is going to do it for this episode of MGMA's Mindful Medicine podcast series. Um, we want to thank Amanda Jensen again. Uh, many of you may know her from member engagement. Um, if you don't, she is a incredible resource. I know that I have booked many of the MGMA member guests because of Amanda. So I am forever in her debt. So <laughs> thank you for that, Amanda. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, I will be putting direct links um, to many of those resources that Amanda mentioned in the episode show notes. 
And I just want to thank all of y'all for being listeners to the MGMA Podcast Network. Most physicians don't have the opportunity to learn the business of medicine. What docs don't get taught, physician business training is a course developed by MGMA and administrators from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. This interactive course provides in-depth physician business training that can drive personal and organizational success. Purchase now for yourself or your organization at physicianbusinesstraining.com and earn eight hours of CME credit. Again, go to physicianbusinesstraining.com to purchase and to learn more.